welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, we are going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. You can go ahead and turn there. And it is time, finally, for the beloved Christmas series. It is time to talk about Christmas. And I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, what took so long? Because some of you guys started Christmas on November 1st. And I just want you to hear it from a preacher. That is a sin, okay? Christmas after Thanksgiving, not before Thanksgiving. Like some of you guys have the Christmas trees up before the Halloween jack-o'-lanterns are even put out. And I know some of you, I'm going to call you out from the pulpit. You do the worst thing I've ever heard of. You listen to Christmas music in your car before Thanksgiving. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. People going around, it's 75 degrees outside, sleigh bells ring, are you listening? Yeah, that's some of y'all, I know you are. Just so you know, you have now been reprimanded, you should not do that. I was thinking about Christmas though, because we, we, we love Christmas, we, we love what Christmas stands for, but we love the traditions of Christmas too, and we all have our, our favorite Christmas traditions that we love to do, things like uh, uh, baking cookies, that's what my wife is doing this afternoon, making cookies and decorating cookies. Of course, there's the Christmas decor. You got to have the Christmas tree up. You got to put lights on the house. But I think everybody's favorite tradition is that Christmas music. Like that's the thing that really makes it feel like Christmas is when we start singing Christmas songs in church, when there's Christmas songs on the radio, when you go see the lights and there's Christmas songs at the park. Like that's the thing that makes it feel like Christmas. And I was thinking about that. It's like, why is it that Christmas music is so popular? What is it about Christmas music where all of a sudden a, a switch flips in our head and we're like, Christmas, got to start singing Christmas songs now. And it, it occurred to me, compared to all the other music that we sing, Christmas music is just very joyful. I mean, if you think about it, if you listen to any secular music, I've been a country fan for all of my life. Country songs are the most depressing music you can get a hold of. My dog died, my wife left me, the house burnt down, my mama's in jail, you know, all of the country stuff. But Christmas music, whether it's about Jesus or if it's even just the secular Christmas music, it's always upbeat. It's always happy. It always brings joy. And it's just a reminder to me that the Christmas season is a holiday that is a joyous season. Like, like we know that when Christmas comes around, it's going to be full of happiness. We even have a cookie cutter that spells out joy at our house. It's on all of the wrapping paper, the word joy. We see this a lot. But I think what happens sometimes is in this season of joy, I think we forget why we have joy. Now, mentally, I could ask you, and every person in this room could say, oh, well, Brian, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's the reason we have joy. I think mentally we could all say that. But if we're being honest, if I'm honest with you, I think we fail to draw joy from what we really should. And we get caught up in gift giving and family time, decorating, cookies and lights and all of those things. So for this series, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a second. I just wanted to step back and I wanted us to focus on joy. And focus on just the Christmas music, the aspect of, of music being joyful. And I wanted to do that by studying the very first Christmas song ever written. If you've got your Bibles, this is in Luke 1. The very first Christmas song is written by none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus. The first song ever sung in celebration of the coming of our Savior was sung by Mary before Jesus was even born. Uh, before we dive into the song, let me just get you caught up just so we have our, our feel of the Christmas story, just so we know 
what happens in Luke 1. Here's what happens. There's a young lady we're introduced in the story named Mary. Most scholars believe that Mary was probably about 14 years old, a young lady from a city in Israel called Nazareth. She was likely very poor, and the story tells us that she was espoused to a man named Joseph. Espouses is a fancy form of engagement. It was a legally binding engagement. You actually had to have a divorce if you were espoused, yet you could not live as man and wife. So as she's sitting here awaiting her, her wedding day, she is approached by the angel Gabriel, God's messenger who comes and he tells her, Mary, you will have a child who will be called the Son of God. Now Mary has some problems with that. She's like, okay, well this is big news. First, you're an angel and you're in front of me. Uh, secondly, how am I supposed to have a child I'm not married and I'm a virgin? And last time I checked biology, that's not how it works. And the angel tells her, God himself will overshadow you. You'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. You'll become pregnant with a child. This child will be called the Son of God. Now when Mary hears this, I love Mary's faith. I'll be honest with you, when Jessica got pregnant, that was a lot for us to process, and we knew it was coming, or at least we hoped it was. Here you have Mary going about a regular day, and all of a sudden, a messenger from heaven appears, and is like, hey, you're going to have a baby in a way nobody's ever had a baby before, and this baby is going to be the Son of God. That's a lot for Mary to have to process. That's a lot of things for Mary to have to go through. But yet what Mary does is she accepts it. She says, well, let it be done unto me as you say. I am, the, I am God's servant. I will do, let him do what he wants with me. If he wants me to have a child, I will have a child. Forget the questions of people wondering about me being pregnant outside of wedlock. Forget all of these problems. I will do it. But what we see with Mary is that she's going to take some time to try to process and understand and Gabriel had also told her about her cousin Elizabeth, who was going through something very similar. Uh, Elizabeth had been barren all of her life, had never been able to have children. She was now well past the age of being able to have children. Yet suddenly, through the same miraculous God power, however you would say it, Elizabeth has become pregnant with a baby who will be John the Baptist. And so Mary knows Elizabeth is going through something similar, and she goes to visit her cousin. And as Mary comes up to Elizabeth from a distance, she yells, Elizabeth, it's me. I'm here. Hi. And Elizabeth, who at this time is about six months pregnant, feels the baby, John the Baptist within her, jump with joy. John the Baptist, as an unborn infant, recognized the presence of Jesus Christ as an unborn infant as well. And that told Elizabeth that something big was happening. Elizabeth knows what's going on. Read with me if you've got your Bibles, verses 42 through 45. Here's what Elizabeth says to Mary. And she spake out loud, this being Elizabeth, with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And, and so imagine this. You go to see a family member. You say hi, and all of a sudden, this is what you get. She looks at you and goes, you, you're the mother of God, and you're coming to visit me? How amazing is that? And what you see in Mary is a change when this happens. Up to this point, we've seen Mary question Gabriel. How will this be? I'm a virgin. We've seen Mary surrender to God's will and accept it. Let, let it be done unto me as you, will, as you see fit, as God sees fit. 
But this is the first time we see Mary grasp what's happening. See, there's a difference in knowing something and understanding it. Mary knew what was going to happen because Gabriel had told Mary what was going to happen. But I think the way the scripture lays out, this is the first time that she actually grasped what is happening. And we see this effect on Mary that something changes within her. And you see this spontaneous moment of praise as she truly understands what it means for her to be pregnant with this child and this child coming into the world. And my hope for us as we go through this, this Christmas series is we move as a church and as individuals, we move from knowing the Christmas story. We know Jesus was born of a virgin in a stable, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. We know those things. My hope is that for me and you, instead of this being another year where we do the Christmas traditions and we tell the Christmas story, that we grasp the gravity of the story and it creates in us a heart of worship like what Mary is about to give us. So what follows in your Bible is probably called either Mary's song or the Magnificat. She has a spontaneous moment of worship where, where she just burst out in this poetic worship of God. Did, did she sing it? I don't know. I wasn't there. But, it, but it's this beautiful moment where everything around her stops and she just praises God for what he has done. This moment of personal praise from Mary to God sprinkled with all of the truth of what's happening. So read with me here starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. He has hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Just out of nowhere, Mary just erupts with praise for who God is. And I want to break down Mary's song this morning. So if you look in verse 46, this is what Mary starts off saying. She says, My soul does magnify the Lord. If you're taking notes, your first take-home truth this morning is Jesus' presence with us causes an internal change. I love the way that Mary starts off with this. Mary doesn't start off with, I feel so happy. I don't know what to do with all of this happiness. Mary goes straight to the heart of her existence. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. When we look at ourselves, everything about you is temporary. You will never be as young as you are today. You, you will never exist forever with a body that is deteriorating. Everything you can touch, everything you can feel will one day pass away. It will be gone. But there is a part of every human being that will exist eternally forever and ever and ever and ever. We call that our soul. And when Mary begins to worship God, she doesn't say, I feel so good. She doesn't say, I I'm experiencing happiness. She doesn't cry tears of joy. She goes straight to that. The essence of who I am magnifies God. See, she's experiencing something different 
than what most of us experience. Her very inner being begins to worship God. And when we think of worship, a lot of times when you say the word worship, what you mean is singing. But singing is not worshiping God. There are people in churches across America today, there are people in this church this morning who have sung to God yet have not worshiped. See, worship is not an action. Worship is a spirit of exalting God that will sometimes come out in a song as it does in us, as it did here in Mary. But we see Mary has this act of worship in here because she's moved from knowing to grasping. She understands what God is doing. And this begins to change her. See, when we truly grasp who God is, when we truly grasp what He did, when we grasp what really happens in the Christmas story, it should change us. It should change our wants and our desires. It should should change what is normal for us. Because our soul exalts God, and then that erupts in outward action. And she says here that my soul, my very being, magnifies the Lord. When you think of magnify, what do you think of? Think of it being bigger, right? Making, making something greater. And for some reason, some people have got into this and, and they've misinterpreted that to say, oh, well, Mary is making God bigger. But that, that's just not possible. Mary can't be saying, I'm making God bigger because we can't make God bigger. I heard it put this way one time when describing God. I, I love this quote. It says, isn't it great that we worship a God that we cannot exaggerate? That means that no matter how good you are at describing God, you are under-describing how good He is. You can't make Him greater. You can't make Him bigger. You can't magnify Him in the way that we would think because He's already greater than we could possibly ever describe. If I spent my whole life in this Bible and I put together one message in the rest of my life, and it is the best message that was ever preached by a human in the history of the world on the character and the being of God it still would not be a drop in the bucket about how great our God is. It's like a sunset. I love sunsets and sunrises. I love to look at them. I'll pull over on the side of the road just to to experience it. And there's these beautiful colors in the sky. And there's pink and blue and orange and red. And it just looks like God painted the sky. I don't even know how it is. And I'll go home and I'll tell my wife, Jessica, I I saw the most beautiful sunset. And I'll try to explain it to her. But no matter how much I explain that sunset, I can never grasp how beautiful it is with words. I may even take out my phone and take a picture of it, but there is no picture of a sunset or a sunrise ever that has ever captured the true beauty of a sunset or a sunrise. And when we talk about God, no amount of words or imagination or describing can ever capture how wonderful and how mighty and how powerful He is. So when Mary says here, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's not making God greater in some way. How could we make something greater that we can't even describe adequately? What she's saying is when I magnify God, I'm enlarging my focus on Him. I've heard a pastor put it this way, is that we gather to make much of Jesus. See, she's enlarging her, her focus. If you think of a magnifying glass, what a magnifying glass does is it does not actually make what you're looking at bigger. It just simply gives you a bigger focus on it. And it will reveal details that you could not see before. And so Mary, as she's praising God here, as she's caught in this moment of spontaneous worship, what, what she's saying is, my very part, my, every part of me is intently focused on God. Imagine if we lived like Mary. 
Imagine if that kind of worship actually came from us. Where I woke up in the morning and there was just a song on my lip and it just says my very being wants to focus on who God is today and how great he is and how wonderful he is. That's what Mary is saying here. How wonderful is our God and how great is he. And the way Mary erupts in this this worship, in this verbal worship, reminds me of love language. Like, Like when Jessica and I started dating, I focused on her nonstop. She would call me and we would talk on the phone for like three hours. I hate talking on the phone. My mom will call me like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, bye, okay, bye. I, I despise it. But for three hours a night, I would just want to know more about this girl I was dating. I would be so focused on her. I was so in love and I was just magnifying everything about her. I want to know every detail. I've heard of parents doing it this way when they have a child and they hold that child for the first time. What do parents do? They start counting what? Fingers and toes. I just want to focus on every detail of this being that I love so much. And what Mary is saying here is, I want to focus on every detail of this being who is God. Our next take-home truth is, when we focus on Jesus' presence, we fall more in love with him. And that's what our Christmas story does, is this is an opportunity for us not to go through some kind of yearly ritual where we have to say the Christmas story because this is church and that's what we do. This is an opportunity for us to take time and focus on what does it actually mean for God to come here as a baby? What does it actually mean for him to be born unto us? It's our opportunity to magnify him. Because if I'm being honest, I get very jaded to a story that I've heard all of my life. I'll be 100% clear. I'm not qualified to preach the message that I'm preaching this morning because I have a hard time in my own heart and my own soul magnifying God and grasping the greatness of this story. But this is our opportunity to ask God to give us that ability to focus on Him and to worship Him. This is our opportunity for us to sit in awe of God and go, you would do that for me? You would break all of these laws in nature, of nature and physics to know me? And then when we ask those questions, I have to ask myself, like, like, what kind of God are you that you would do something so amazing? Mary continues in verse 47 in her worship, and she says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. We see a repetition of what she's talking about. My soul magnifies and my spirit rejoices. Soul and spirit, those, those to us are the same thing. That's that eternal part of me. That's that spiritual part of me that will exist forever and ever and ever and ever. But in the original language, the reason it's translated soul and spirit is Mary uses two different words. Soul being that, that inner part of me, but spirit, spirit more closely relates to the word breathe or breath. So here we have Mary describing it in a different way. She begins to describe the breath, my breath of life is rejoicing in God, my Savior. And as we think about a human body, the breath of life is, is like who we are. I mean, think of, think of it this way. How, how do we know somebody is still alive? How do we associate life with the human body? It is when they, when they breathe. If somebody's unconscious and they're breathing, like we need some medical attention, that's okay. But when somebody stops breathing, that's when it's time to panic because that's when their life is slipping away. 
And all through Scripture, we see this picture of breath being life and life equaling, or life being God. Jesus said, I am the life. When God created humans, he breathed into an unanimated corpse to bring us to life. Even God's name, Yahweh, is continually on our lips. I didn't know this until recently. Did you know that the word Yahweh, when spoken correctly, is the sound that we make when we're breathing? Yah is inhale and way is exhaling. That means as you sit here today, literally the name of our God is on your breath. He created it into the whole world where we speak his name constantly. And what Mary's saying is, is this part of me, my breath of life, my, my, what I'm bringing in, what I'm inhaling and what I'm exhaling, this part of me rejoices. Rejoices is just a simple way of saying I am experiencing joy. Such a Christmas word. We don't say joy nearly enough as Christians. Like we should experience joy. We should, we should rejoice, uh, not, not be happy. We, we should rejoice. See, see, there's a difference in these two things. Happiness is very dependent upon your circumstances. If I'm at Disney World, I'm happy. Well, probably not me. There's too many people there. But most people are happy at Disney World. If I'm at work, I'm unhappy. That one is me. That's true. Like, like that's happiness. Happiness just kind of comes and goes with your circumstances. But joy, joy is not a fleeting emotion. Joy is a state of being. That I experience joy that can only be given to me eternal, internally and eternally by God. Mary says here, my very breath is full of joy. Our, our next take home truth is Jesus' presence with us brings us joy. And so you see this, this focus on magnifying God. And in magnifying God and seeing Him deeper than she ever has and understanding Him in a new way, she finds joy. So what is it? What is it about magnifying God and focusing on Him brings me joy? Why is it that, that I am joyful because I know God? Mary, Mary answers that in three simple words. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Those are three words that don't match. There are places in the Bible where, where words are put together that should never have been put together and it is only through God's grace that he says those things work for my people. Think of it this way. God, the creator of everything, He's in charge of everything. He spoke the world into existence. Coupled with the word my, a term of ownership, and savior, a rescuer. Like nobody in this room should ever be able to say, God, my savior. But because of Jesus' presence with us, we have that ability to call God our savior. I love how personal Mary is here. Mary doesn't speak of God as some being in the sky. God speaks of him in a personal manner. And that by itself is reason enough to rejoice. See, Christmas, a lot of times we look at it from the 5,000 foot view. Like it's an impersonal story. It's about a baby. They laid it in a manger. There was probably a donkey there. I don't know why there's always a donkey. And there was a camel. Camels are very important in the nativity, just so you know. Some of you guys have heard me talk about wanting to buy a camel. Like, those are so very important. And we look at it like it's this picture on TV. Like, it's just something that happened a long time ago. The entire point of the Christmas story 
is about being personal. It's about connection with God. It's about us getting to know God, this God who spoke the world into existence, who breathed life into humankind. We can call him mine and know him just like we know other people. And then Mary, Mary calls him her savior. See, see, Mary knew who she was. Mary, Mary knew sin. She knew that she spent her entire life, her entire existence in a dark place separated by God. And this just bears pointing out here that there are some people who will tell you because Mary was the mother of Jesus that she must have been absolutely perfect. And there's a Bible verse right here that just proves that wrong. Perfect people don't need a savior. And so Mary here points to the need or to her knowledge that she needs a savior, that she is separated from God because of her sin and that she is trapped in her sin with no escape. But what a savior does is a savior comes to where you are in the midst of your darkness in the midst of your separation from others. And he rescues you and he takes you to safety. Mary looks at God and says, God is my savior. Not he can be a savior. Not he was my grandparents' savior. God is my personal savior. He rescues me from the darkness and he takes me to safety. I watched a movie this week. I highly recommend it if you like um, true life stories. It was called 13 Lives. It's on Amazon. If, you, if you've got Amazon, go watch this movie. It's absolutely awesome. It's a true story from 2018 when a bunch of boys were exploring a cave in Thailand. And in the midst of their exploring the cave, the monsoon rains blew in just a little bit too early. And the mountain valley where the cave was located beginning to, began to flood. And all of that water found its way through cracks and crevices down into the cave system they were in. And the cave was completely submerged except for little pockets, little caverns, that there would be places where there would be air. And these boys were caught, and their, and their soccer coach were caught nearly uh, or a little over a mile back in this cave system. Imagine being those children. The cave is flooded. I don't mean like flooded like I have to wade out. Like I mean the entire cave system is underwater. And they found this one little room where they can get above the rising water. And for 10 days, they stayed there and they waited in complete darkness with no hope of escape and the promise of death waiting every single second. But unbeknownst to them, the entire world mobilized to try to find a way to get those boys out of there. And rescue divers from all across the world who were experts in diving in caves took it upon themselves to put on their scuba gear swim underwater in a cave not big enough to crawl through for over a mile to go find those boys and bring them out of that cave. That's what a, a rescuer looks like. They come from a place of safety through danger to where you are so they can take you to a place of safety with them. And when our Savior comes here in the form of a baby, He's not coming here so we can sing some cute songs. He's coming here to rescue us, to be our Savior if we'll accept Him. See, what Mary is saying here is God is more than a name that I talk about. God is more than some statue that I throw prayers at. God is more than some set of habits that I decide to follow. God is the one that I trust to come rescue me from the darkness. Every person, even Mary, the mother of God, needs a Savior. And what we, what we celebrate and why we find joy during this time of year is not a story it's because our Savior has come for us. 
Our Savior has come to rescue us and give us away from the darkness. Our next take home truth is Jesus' presence means we are rescued. There's a scene in that movie, of course it's a movie, but I really, I really like the way that it plays out. It's as those boys sit in that dark cavern, stuck, just kind of crouched on this little high place away from the water. Through the darkness, suddenly the water has a slight glow to it in the pitch black. And the glow gets brighter and brighter and brighter until suddenly a rescue diver appears above the water with a flashlight on his helmet. As we look at the Christmas story and you look at, at the coming birth of Christ in the story, that's what it looks like. There's a small glimmer of light and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until Jesus burst on the scene coming here to rescue us. And the fact that we have the ability to be rescued, that should bring us joy. It's even better that the God of the universe is the one who rescues us. There's reason for us to be happy. There's reason for us to worship. There's reason for us to be excited. And I would say this, and I, I'm going to speak to myself as much as I'm going to speak to you here. I'm going to say this. If you have a lack of joy at the arrival of Jesus Christ, if we can sit here and we can read this story and we can just kind of mumble through it and say, yeah, that's a good story. The reason we have a lack of joy is because we're not being honest about how dark and lost we are. We're not looking in the mirror the way that we should. See, Mary, Mary knows who she is. And that's what erupts in this moment of praise. It's not simply a story about God. It's a story about God compared to me who is nobody. See, she knows how big it is that God would do something for her. And verse 48, she continues, For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. See, Mary talks about her lowest state, and there's a couple of different ways to look at this. For one, Mary was very physically poor. She was a poor girl from Nazareth. She was a nobody from nowhere. There was nothing special about her. There was nothing important about her. People didn't want to be her. She wasn't the popular person. She was a nobody from nowhere. But she also knows that in being in a low estate, a nobody from nowhere, that she is separated from God. See, so many people will say, well, well, she found favor with God. She must not be so bad. Well, something we need to understand about the Bible is usually usefulness is not about how bad we are. It's about how we view ourselves and how we view ourselves as a sinner. See, the Bible says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that means that, that we can know that we are sinners. We don't celebrate that, but we know that we are sinners. We have a deep connection that we are sinners. And if we humbly lay that at God's feet, that's when God uses us. Again and again and again in the scriptures, God uses people who are sinners, yet they are humble enough to know they are sinners, over the proud who think they're perfect. As we look at Mary, it's very clear. It's very clear. Mary knows who she is. And she's just astounded that in her low estate, in her poverty, in her spiritual bankruptness, that she is not hidden from God. She, she says he has regarded the low estate of his handmaid. She says, he, he, took, he took notice of me. The God of the universe takes notice of me. 
when I started working at Concord, my first, my first week as a teacher, I was um, getting my room ready. I didn't know anybody. And, and this is my happy place at church, but I'm really quite shy and out in public. And so I didn't know anybody. A few people had took time to say hi to me, but I was kind of lonely and isolated there. And on my first day, we were working on the room and, and everybody was going to lunch. And I was like, well, I'm just going to keep working. I don't know anybody. I don't want to invite myself. And a teacher who I did not know noticed me. They walked from the other end of the school. Instead of walking the 10 feet to their car to go eat lunch, they walked from the other end of the school down to my classroom and invited me to lunch that day. I don't remember anything else about my first year as a teacher, but I remember that somebody noticed me as a new teacher who felt like they were below everybody else. I will never forget that somebody cared enough about me to come notice me and connect with me. And if that's a big deal, I think we all have a story like that where somebody notices us and we shouldn't. If that's a big deal, how much more of a big deal is it that God would notice us? He's busy. He's keeping the earth spinning. He's causing the rain to come. He makes sure those stars are shining brightly. He's making the sun go up and go down every single day. But he has time to notice me and you. He has time to regard us. He has time to connect with us and know who we are. You see that, that there is a change in Mary where she sees herself differently now. She says, he has regarded the, the low estate of his handmaiden. I am a nobody from nowhere. But once she's been noticed by God, it changes. I'm a nobody from nowhere. And then she ends it with saying, but from this point forward, all generations will call me blessed. Not because she's anybody, not because she's special, but because, because God noticed her. Our next take-home truth is Jesus' presence changes us from spiritually poor to spiritually rich. See, when we look at Mary, being poor and being rich has nothing to do with money. It has to do with her connection with God and her love for God. Listen to what she continues to say as she compares herself to God. Verse 49, for he that is mighty has done great things, or to me, let me start again. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. See, Mary has this realization of who he is. Not just, not just the name God, he, he is mighty he is so much bigger than we could ever describe. He is so much bigger than we could ever understand. He is so amazing. And how crazy is it? How crazy is it that I am nobody and yet he does great things to and for me? There's a personal connection. And I love, I love Mary's conclusion here. Because as human beings, here's what I love to do and here's what I think a lot of us like to do. We look at what God has blessed us with. We look at what God does in our lives. And here is the conclusion we come to. We come to this conclusion. Well, I must be pretty good. God blessed me with this wonderful family. I must, I must have done something right. God blessed me financially. God must really like how I handle my life. But Mary came to the exact opposite conclusion. Mary's conclusion was not how great am I that God would look down on me. Mary's conclusion was how great is God that he would look down on me a nobody from nowhere. And she concludes this part of her psalm with, with nothing else but just saying, holy is his name. What a powerful moment of spontaneous worship to be able to just say, holy is his name. The word holy simply means set apart. What Mary's saying here is, there is nothing, 
There is nothing in a category with my God. There is nothing like him. There is nothing as great as him. There is nothing as mighty as him. Not my family, not money, not anything this world has to offer. There is nothing like him. Holy is his name because he loves me and he chose me even though I'm a nobody from nowhere. That's where Mary's heart of joy comes from. And this Christmas, what I hope more than anything for myself and for you and for our church is that we have that same heart of worship. We have that same belief and conviction in how great is our God. And we allow this to be an opportunity to remind ourselves of that. Live if you want to start coming up here. See, Christmas is a time for us to magnify God. To, to focus on what it means that God would come to us. And this morning, as we enter our reflection time, I just want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge us to be people who do magnify God in our souls. I want to challenge you to focus on what it means that God would come and He would love us. And this morning, maybe you're like me and maybe you just heard the story so many times, you got jaded and you just need to remember how special God is. I've struggled with that this week. That you may be here and for the first time you've heard the story, but for the first time you grasp what it means to be separated from God and to need Him as your personal Savior, not as a name over a building that you go to on Sunday. And if that's you, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to know Him because He came here for personal connection. He came here to love you and to offer you salvation so that you can say those words that no human should ever say, God is my Savior. And all He asks all he asks of me and you is that we place our faith in him. And if we can do that and grasp that, we have a lot to be joyful about this morning. Let's stand and worship our God.